Good afternoon. Uh, if you're visiting, welcome. We're family, so when it comes to technical issues, we're okay with it. Uh, my name's Jeeves. I have the privilege of overseeing the youth work here. Uh, it is an absolute privilege. Uh, you've come a very good Sunday where we're enjoying our series in Luke again. This passage we're looking at today, for me, I find hilarious. I find really funny. And My aim is really to kind of tackle how funny it is. I've had quite a few of my youth, but others just ask me the question, does the Bible contain humor? Does the Bible actually contain any humor? And so this is my aim. My aim is to basically first do a bit of exegesis. If you're a theologian, uh, if you're not a theologian, look at the topic of does the Bible contain humor? After doing that, I then want to just expand it and just let the line that is the gospel roar loudly to allow us just to enjoy what God wants to say. So my aim is to first get the uh, context and then allow the word of God just to speak to us in that way. Are we all right with that? I'll be honest, at the moment, from the sounds of response I'm getting back, you're not. So uh, are we okay with that, church? Yes, Yes, that's what I want. Let me uh, read the the word of God. Uh, My timer hasn't started um, because we all know that I don't start until I read the Bible. Uh, I'll read the Bible, I'll pray, I'll start my timer, and then we're just going to enjoy our time together. Cool. Uh, If you want to turn to Luke uh, 9. Man, everything's kicking off today. Uh, Luke 9. 46 to 50. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, it's on the screen, so you don't need to turn it on your phone. Uh, that's absolutely fine. Let me read. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, more than anything else, I just want you to be here. Holy Spirit, I just want you to be here. I want you to be here in this place, that we just get to enjoy what your word says. Just be here, Holy Spirit. Come and help us understand this passage better. Your holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Did you see the funny bit? Did you see it? No. Thank you, Ali. That's that's what I like, a bit of call and response. No. Uh, Look, the question I've asked multiple times is, does the Bible contain humor? Here's my answer. Yes, it absolutely does. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time to live, there's a time to die, there's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. It's biblical to laugh. It's biblical to have fun. It's biblical to enjoy joy. Now, that's a very um, difficult phrase to say, but it's biblical to actually enjoy being joyful. In fact, what I often find, and I'm not saying in this church, but what I often find when meeting Christians is they're the gloomiest, the saddest, the sometimes most boring people, as if 22 cats have died instead of knowing that a great king reigns. 
I often find it that Christians are just walking around being, yeah, Jesus loves me all the time, rather than enjoying that Jesus loves him. Adam's already praying in tongues. I'm happy about this one. Yeah, I don't know. It came from, it came from nowhere. The, the reality is, wonderful family, we need to learn to enjoy joy. And, and it is biblical. Let me show you. In fact, if we looked at... Uh, Genres of comedy that we claim nowadays, we can find it in the Bible. There's anecdotal comedy. In Exodus 32, there's this moment where Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Uh, down at the bottom of the mountain, the Israelites are kind of discussing, saying, well, he's gone for a long time. What are we going to do? They all turn to Aaron, Moses' brother, saying, do something. Aaron going, what should I do? Uh, they give him all his gold. He makes a calf out of it. Moses comes down the mountain. He is frustrated, breaks the commandments, turns to Aaron saying, what are you doing? This is his response. It says, they gave it to me, I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Church, that's funny. That's hilarious. Think about it. Aaron's going, oh, I don't know, I just had this gold, I chuck into the fire, and suddenly a calf appeared. Really, Aaron? That's funny. It's really funny. Let me give you some more. There's observational comedy. In Judges 3, there's this uh, king called Eglong that in the Bible, he's described as a very fat man. In the word of God, he's described as a very, not just a fat, a very fat man. So we've got this Jabba the Hutt looking king sitting on his throne and you've got this prophet of God coming called Ehud who's delivering a word of God to kill this king. Eglog sends out all of his people. Ehud comes in, gets his sword out, stabs it into the gut of this king, and the sword gets stuck. The sword gets stuck because of his fat. His fat goes around the handle. So Ehud is jamming this, this sword into him, and out comes his guts and everything. The people on the outside are going, what's that smell? Well, he's probably just going to the toilet, so we'll leave him another 20 minutes. They leave him dead. Church, this is funny. This is, this is slapstick humor. This is comedy written in the word of God of this moment of hilarity. It's funny. Let me tell you another one. This is what I re recently, uh, recently realized. Well, as we're going through Luke, I just read ahead to Luke 11. Um, and there's this moment in, uh, uh, in Genesis where Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's told to run and go and don't look back. And Lot's wife looks back and turns to a pillow of salt. Now, I didn't realize kind of what that meant or the funny side of it. In Luke 17, Jesus says, um, those who try and keep uh, their life loses it. Those who try and preserve their life loses it. And I just realized the humor in that moment, the ironic humor where Lot's wife literally was like, you know what, let me look back and try and preserve my life. And she turned into a preservative. Is this thing on? A preservative. She turned into a preservative. It's ironic. It's humor in the Bible. It's amazing. There's this moment, this absurd comedy. In uh, Numbers, you've got the story of Balaam and his donkey. And Balaam is on a road, and he's slightly blind. 
And as he's riding, this donkey sees the angel of God and it stops. Balaam kicks the donkey and makes it keep on going. It happens three times. The angel gets so fed up, he makes the donkey speak, basically going, Balaam, why are you hitting me? Balaam goes, because you're a donkey, now move. The angel of God opens up Balaam's eyes and says this, why have you beaten your donkey three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me, turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now, but I would have spared it. The angel said, the donkey saw me, so I would have kept his life, but you, Balaam, I would have killed you. That's so random, but it's funny. It's really funny. You can just look at Peter and the disciples. In John 4, there's this moment where the disciples are bringing food to Jesus. And he tells them, I have food that you do not know of. Now, the disciples don't go, oh, woe is me. What a king he is. No. What does Peter say? Could someone have brought him food? As if there was a delivery-like moment, as if the, Jesus whipped out his phone, going, oh, you know what, wagamummers, let me pick that today, and ordered some food to deliver in. It's so absurd, it's funny that the disciples just make such a mistake with it. Peter well, we just read in Luke 9, this moment of transfiguration. And in this transfiguration where you see Moses and Elijah, the, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And what does Peter do? He doesn't go, wow, how incredible this is. He turns to one another and goes, you know what, Jesus, it's a good thing that you invited me here because we're pretty good at making tents for them. Church, that's funny. It's humorous. It's absurd. The Bible contains these things. Now, question, does it contain British comedy? Yes! Yes, it does. It contains British comedy. There's a moment in 1 Kings where um, you've got the prophet of Baal against the Elijah, who, which God is real. And you've got the prophets of Baal um, having this sacrifice and praying to their God, saying, Baal, Baal, take it away. What does Elijah respond? This is amazing. Cry out loud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. What he's saying is, your God must be on the toilet. You've got to shout louder so he can hear you. Church, this is in the Bible. You've got a prophet, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, basically saying, your God must be in the toilet because he cannot hear you. How British and ironic is that? You've got this moment where Jesus, in Matthew 19, meet, meets a rich man. And a rich man goes, how can I get into heaven? And Jesus goes, sells everything. And uh, the rich man basically walks away um, upset. And uh, <laughs> you've got this moment where Jesus goes, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, that is funny. Let, let, let me explain. Okay, what is the British version of a camel? Does anyone know what the British version of a camel is? A cow. Here's a cow. Thank you very much. Catherine, I actually might need your help here because I haven't got a... Right, it's a cow. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> All right, thank you, Ian. 
Right, church, let's, let's do a brainstorm. Let's do a whiteboard session. How do you think we can get this cow through the eye of a needle? Should we start the tail? Should we start the ear? Church, this is funny. This is Jesus being very ironic, being satirical to say, there's no way. Do you see it? Do you see the humor? Now, here's the important part of me bringing this up. The humor in the Bible is not written away just to make us laugh, though it does. It's to teach us some gold and wisdom. So it's important we know how we read the Bible. Well, this is, this is what we teach the youth. How do we read the Bible? Oh, sorry, I missed that one. We use a, an acronym called OPA. And, and this is what it stands for. O, origination. Historical, cultural, and emotion, uh, emotional origination. What is the context of it all? P, primary point. What are we trying to get across? What is the passage actually trying to get across? And A, application. How do you apply it? Let's take the camel-cow situation here. Origination. What is trying to get across? That a camel or cow is massive. And the eye of a needle is very, very small. Primary point. It is impossible for a camel or cow to get through the eye of a needle. It is impossible. Application, you can't serve God and money. You can't be in love with Jesus and be in love with money. It is impossible to do so. Do you see? Do you see the humor that is written this way? I need to put you down because you're too distracting. Uh, The gold that is behind the humor carries so much weight. But beloved family, first and foremost, can we make a decision to not take the joy and humor and hilarity and laughter out of the Bible and out of Christianity and put it down to a religious text like everything else? Can we not do that? Can we be a people that recognize the joy that there is in the Lord? the wonder and splendor that there is in the king, the hilarity in God. Can we do that? Oh, yes, we can. (laughs) Let's look at this story. Now, just before this, the disciples couldn't, basically made quite a few mistakes. They tried to call out a demon, but they couldn't do so. And you've got this moment where it re- writes, the disciples were together and set, described, uh, argued and debated who was the greatest. Think about that. They all failed. And there's a moment where one of them, I'm guessing Peter, uh, there's one of them that basically goes, you know what? I think I'm better than you. And the other one goes, you know what? I think I'm better than you, actually. I saw the transfiguration. He goes, actually, Peter, you've messed up so many times. You're not better than me. And this argument starts to arise. Like, as if they're, like, they're acting like little children, immaturely in that way. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. Right? Even though they all just failed, they're having this discussion. And then Jesus comes and he goes, okay, you want to be great? Be like this child. Matthew's gospel of this account literally says, become like a child. 
In, in Luke, we read, receive this child in that way. He talks to these people who are being immature like children and tells them to have a childlike heart. Do you see the irony in it? It's funny. It's funny. More so, in children in that time would have been seen as people that were worthless. You don't get anything from children, so to speak. That's what they would have seen. So what they're basically saying is, you want to be great, well, receive that is what is worthless. It's funny, yet it carries so much gold and wealth behind it. So more than anything, if I can get that across to answer that question that some people might have asked, let us put the joy and humor and laughter back into Christianity because the Bible says it so. Okay, next point. Let's, let's touch more on this bit. Now, we don't know what the disciples were discussing here, but we can only imagine that it's who's the best after Jesus. It's, it's not hard uh, to see that people try and do it in that kind of way, that they try and discuss to see what they can gain from people or how they can look. I like to call it Instagram Christianity or Christianity for the likes. Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you seen this, that you kind of put in the correct filter on, the right clothes? As you can notice, I'm preaching in a New Frontiers church, so I'm wearing a checkered shirt, right? You know, you're putting on the right clothes, you're putting on the right view. Uh, you're posting on social media about faith, all the things that you're doing, commenting on certain posts that certain people can see what you're doing, tagging certain people in. You're putting up the right picture so that people can see the best of you, making sure that the mask that they see is the best and not what is behind the curtains. Telling others the great thing it is to go to prayer meetings or socials or different things like that, but not actually getting involved yourself. Full of words, but not of action. Complaining about things that we see in other generations. Like, oh, those young people are always on social media and writing that on social media. It, it, in a way, it is, it's written for a way to try and get uh, that kind of Instagram Christianity or Christianity for the likes. But a lot of that is filled and fueled with our own ego, our own pride, and our own status. You notice it's so much easier and more desirable to kind of put on a good front and a good face for those that we can receive something from than those we can't. Do you notice that? It's so, it's so much easier to put on a face for those that we can receive something from in a particular way, rather responsibility or status or title, rather than those that we can't. But Jesus is calling this out. He's calling this out in a, in a humorous but important way. He's saying, how can you be great if you're just pretending to be great for certain people? Look, everyone wants to preach. But not everyone wants to do the bins. Everyone wants to lead worship, but not everyone wants to clean the toilets. Everyone wants to serve in a, in a grand way of going, look at me, but not everyone is willing to put away the chairs at the end to delay their dinner by an extra half an hour. In, in a sense, everyone has that impulse to want to do something, but not in a cultural way that is actually deep embedded of servant-heartedness. I remember spending half an hour, we spent time with the Gads, who we love dearly, and as we were just talking with them, Kate Gad just said this phrase that stuck with us, which is, I want to be the greatest nobody I can be. I want to be the greatest nobody I can be. Man, what wisdom is that? To say, no, it's, I don't want to do things so I can be recognized. I want to be the greatest nobody I can be. To serve in a way that I can just give what I can give. Whew. 
Notice, though, how Jesus doesn't necessarily attack the human impulse to achieve greatness. No, he, he takes it and he redefines it into something that he believes is genuinely great. The greatness that God sees it. That humility and service, loving what Jesus loves. That's why Paul, in uh, Philippians 3, he says, Everything I count as a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Everything, all accolade, all results, all status, I count as a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. It's why that when Jesus says the greatest commandment in Matthew uh, 22 is love your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Loving your heavenly father like a child. Then what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving like the heavenly father does to all his children. Your neighbor as yourself. Not your best friend. Not the person you get on with. Your neighbor. I.e. Everyone. Loving your neighbor as yourself. It's why in 1 John 4.11, the commission that John sets is since God so loved us, we ought to love others. Love is not something that you favoritize and you just give in one direction. Love is not something you filter to a certain class or certain people. Love is something you give to everyone. If we're loving like the Father, it's not selective, it's inclusive. This love that is relational, that is inclusive. This should pour out in the way that we do church. Wanting to be in his presence and drawing others in with humility and a servant heart. That's why we're doing, we do things as a church to serve people, not just for entertainment. Not just to entertain people, but we do things as a church to direct them to the king, to show them who Jesus is and to serve with a servant heart, not so we can gain anything, but to plant the gospel, the seed of the gospel into people's hearts. We're not doing this four o'clock service because it's easier to wake up uh, later in the day. We're doing this to make room for the lost to come home and to get to know who the king is. That's what we're doing this for. That's what we're doing this for. I wrote this, uh, these words down so I could read them verbatim. So I'm going to try and do that. I am desperate to see a cultural change in young people to stop seeing church as a casual activity on a Sunday that sometimes you get on put on a rotor to serve whenever it's convenient for you, but that it's the greatest gathering of family that we get to enjoy being with God and loving each other as family. I am desperate to see a cultural change, to stop, seeing pe- uh, to stop seeing prayer meetings as boring, as a waste of an evening from TV, but as another time to relationally get closer to Jesus, to encourage one another in servant heartiness and love. I'm desperate to see a cultural change, to stop seeing Christianity as boring, old traditions, full of have-to-dos, but the greatest loving adventure for life that starts with humbling yourself to love him and others in a way of service and of joy. I'm desperate for that cultural change. I'm desperate. If you are in that way, And you want to keep growing to be great that Jesus defines it. If so, fall in love with Jesus more and more. Fall in love with him more and more. If so, serve not because you have to, but because you get to. 
Serving in the church is one of the greatest privileges that we have. It is not something that we're rooted on just so we get to do it and we have to do it in that kind of way. No, because it's embedded in our hearts because why? Jesus served us first. If you want to keep growing to be great, get involved in the smallest of things because they genuinely matter. They genuinely matter. Okay. Let me continue. Now, at this moment, the disciples have been called out and their egos probably would have been bruised. That's why you got this moment right after that John kind of goes, Jesus, look at these people. We try to stop them because they're not one of us. Uh, you've, <laughs> you've got this moment where I would say we can relate to quite easily. Where you've been called out and your reaction is, I'm going to be on the defensive. Or I'm going to attack someone else in that way. I don't know about you, but in love, I've been there. I don't know about you, but when I've been called out for my actions, I've then gone, well, what about them? Or I'm not actually that bad. You kind of got it wrong. I go on the defensive or on the attack. You've got this moment in uh, Numbers where Moses and Joshua have the same encounter. And Moses in his words says, Joshua, step back. I wish it was, I wish it would be that all would be filled with the living God. Now, what, would, what is Jesus' response to this? Well, it's similar to Moses's, but it's a bit deeper. Jesus not only draws on the fact that they belong to Jesus, but he draws on the fact that they're united in the same mission. They're united in the same cause. He goes, if they're not against you, they're for you. Do you see that? They're united in the same mission in that way. It's a clear call to unity and family. Instead of it being about who does that, who is more mature, who is doing what, Jesus makes a complete call to unity. Something that is utterly countercultural. Uniting the blood of Christ for the mission of Christ. But the reality is we live in a results-driven society. I don't know about you, but if, if you go to work, majority of the times you're, you're weighed on your objectives and what you've done, what results that you can uh, show, your key performance indicators. You're, you're based on all the stuff that you actually do. And the problem is, if we end up focusing on the results and what we achieve and allowing that to define us, we allow that to become a status factor rather than seeing what Jesus has done and letting what he has done state our identity. We let what our works are define us compared to what Jesus is and who he is define us. How many times either because of emotional distress or political ploy, do we try and cause disunity for our own gain? How easy is it for ourselves to be seen as better by trying to put someone else down? When our minds are on ourselves and our, uh, our, our minds are on our own mission or our own ministry, disunity and disharmony starts to creep its ugly head to try and cause a break in the kingdom of God. You know what, actually, there's such an easy moment, again, for that kind of uh, Christian for the likes mentality to come in. By saying, well, I, I'm going to try and get more likes by putting someone else down more. Beloved family, that is so of the enemy. 
I just feel stirring. That is something that we really got to be careful of. The enemy wants disunity. The enemy wants disharmony. We can find that within our own church, but also within different denominations. We can easily go, we, new grounds or new frontiers, we're a free church. At least we're better than C or V. At least we're better than Anglicans in that kind of way. We can allow that disunity and disharmony to creep in to actually say it's about us rather than about what the kingdom of God is. What the Bible is saying is if you're for Jesus, you're united. That, that's, that's the fundamental basis of it. If you're for Jesus, you're united. Therefore, it's not about what I do that defines me. It's not about the, the work and the fruit that comes out of Ignite that I then go, well, look at me and look how great of a leader I am. That's not what defines me. Who defines me is what Jesus has done. And when, when Ignite hits a stint, and fruit doesn't come from it, the poor reaction that I, I, as vulnerable as I am, I have fallen into is to go, why God are you not moving in this way? Look at they as a leader. Why are they getting fruit? They're as not as good as me. I'll be vulnerable with you. That's happened. Well, I'll go, look at the fruit. Why am I not getting anything? Look how good of a person I am. When my results tries to define my status, I cause disunity and disharmony. Beloved family, I call us that because we are a family. And you don't have status in family based on results or works. You have it because of the one who has united us in his blood. So when we've got that moment, when you're seeing people healed, lives change, people prophesy, all the exciting works of God happen for someone else, what is your response? Is it, that's good for them, but look at all their flaws, which is utter jealousy. Is it, well, look at what all I've done. Look at all my stuff, which is utter pride. Or is it, God be praised that they are part of the family of God and they are united with me and I can celebrate in what they are doing. Utter joy. Beloved family, I think we need to become more joyful. And now please don't hear that. I'm not saying that as a condemning way. I'm not saying it in an, even in a convicting way. I'm saying that because the Bible calls us to be joyful. I want us to be a church when someone brings their testimony, we're not just doing a casual clap, but we're rejoicing in what God has done in their life. I want us to enjoy joy in that way. Let me land. And I just want to land by just looking at the way that Jesus approaches the disciples in this way. Notice that he isn't looking just at their actions. Notice that. He's looking at their character. He's looking underneath the service, uh, surface at their heart. He isn't wanting people in it for themselves. He isn't wanting to pe see people satisfy their own e ego or their own belly. He's wanting children. He's wanting children. He's wanting those to come to him with all joy, laughter, and love, to receive everyone in all love that he displays and encourage one another in the mission ahead. In that way, Ban, if you just want to come, we've probably got time for one more song. I just want to put to you three questions here. 
Where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? Where's your heart out for the king? Where's your heart out for God? Are you wanting a God who's just going to sit there and listen? A God who's just a fluffy bunny rabbit in the sky that's just kind of there, there, aren't you nice? Just moving the way that I want you to. Or are you wanting a God who's going to talk into your life, that you give him all of you, and you're saying, God, have all of me, move in me, speak into me. Where's your heart at for the king? Where's your heart at for the church? Are you wanting to see the church grow or are you wanting to see yourself grow? Are you wanting to see the church grow as we storm the gates of hell, we enjoy what God is doing? This is a spiritual battle. This is a mission field. It's exciting. But where's your heart at for the church? Are you wanting to see that? Are you wanting to see these empty chairs filled with people saved for the lost? Or are you wanting to be comfortable in the size that the church is right now? Where's your heart out for the church? And where's your heart out for united relational mission? Where's your heart out for joining with one another as we go forward for the kingdom? Or are you, where's your heart out to just be siloed off and just to go look at me, look at my results, look at my works? Where's your heart at? Do you want to stand with me? I just want us to pray. Um, actually, let's do this as well. Prayer team, uh, whoever it is, uh, can you grab a green lanyard? Can you stand over there, please? That would be great help. I'm going to go over there in a bit as well. Oh, they might not be here. There might be no one here. All right. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Look, what often happens is when we hear a word... We kind of just go, we'll, we'll kind of dwell over it. We're going to think over it. And then we're going to finish. I actually feel for myself even, I just wanted to receive more of family imputation, impartation of just enjoying the king. I wanted to be prayed for. And I got prayer this morning just to go, you know what? I want to, I want to enjoy you, Father. And I need to give this to you. I don't know if it's many, I don't know if it's some, I don't even know if it's one person. But I really want to put it to you. If there's anything that I've said that's landed in any way, please get prayer. There's no condemnation of walking over and just receiving prayer. We're a family, no one's going to judge you for making that walk over and just receiving prayer. There's none of that. So you're freed to go do so. I really want to put it to you. Actually, if anything's landed, receive some prayer today. I'm just going to pray. We're going to worship with one song and then Ian's probably going to close the meeting. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are so great. You are so full of joy, wonder and splendor. And I give it to you. We give this all to you. And we say, Father, Father, help us to have more of a servant heart. Help us to have more of a joyful nature and help us to be united and for one another. Not in it for the likes, not in it for what we gain, but completely for you. Your holy name. Amen.